Have you ever felt completely isolated and alone whilst standing in the midst of a large group? I would be willing to bet that about 99% of people have had that experience at least once in their life. And I don't doubt that there are some people who feel like that all the time. The struggle of dealing with connection and loneliness on a psychological and emotional level is, I believe, something that almost everyone is bound to encounter at some point in their life. And for many, it is a challenge that will dominate or possibly even end their lives. What I would like to discuss with you today are what I believe are some of the key causes of our feelings of separation and connection and how we may not so much overcome these issues, but understand and accept them, allowing us to move beyond them and live comfortably. My name is Lewis, and this is Budo, The Martial Way. Loneliness, isolation, longing for connection. Human beings are social animals, and we are desperate to interact with other people. It's interesting how, even in prison, when you are surrounded by dangerous criminals, one of the greatest punishments the guards can enforce on you is that of solitary confinement. Because even in that awful environment, we still want to interact with the people around us. We need that connection, regardless of the situation. And recently, with the Wuhan plague sending everyone scurrying into their homes and governments around the world enforcing lockdown, this is something that a lot of people have had to deal with, many of which have never encountered any kind of experience like this before. And even as we live in the communication age, even as we are often permanently connected with our friends and family through our phones and the internet, people have still dealt with this situation very badly. God forbid this had happened 30 years in the past. I can't imagine how these people would have dealt with it then. Now, the fact remains, we have this desire to socialize, to interact and connect with the people around us. But even so, it is often not that easy. How often do we find ourselves at a party, out in public or at some social gathering, and yet feel completely alone, isolated, and unable to meaningfully connect with the people around us? I saw a short webcomic online a few weeks ago. In the first panel, the character was at home lying in bed, thinking, I wish I was with my friends. And then in the second panel, he was at a party, stood in the middle of a group, thinking, I wish I was at home. I know that's something a lot of people can associate with. So on the one hand, we have this desire for connection. But at the same time, it would seem that we also sometimes want to be alone. We recognize the value and comfort of solitude. Where I believe people begin to struggle is in balancing these two opposing factors. As we attempt to conflate two separate and apparently mutually exclusive truths. But they are both valid. Our desire for connection and our need for isolation, they are both very real and both necessitous requirements for a healthy lifestyle. As I talk about this, I think of two people I know who are almost complete opposites, and yet in a certain way they suffer with the same issue from different ends. 
I won't name them, of course, but one of them, I've known her for a long time, and she seems to have the need to always be in a relationship. The first few years I knew her, she was always breaking up and getting back together with this one guy, no matter how awful their relationship was and how ill-suited they were for each other. She just couldn't bear to be alone. And whenever she was single, I could see this almost panicked anxiety in her. It seems as though she feels a certain sense of security when she's in a relationship, even if it's entirely the wrong one. The other girl I'm thinking of, she is fiercely independent. She's a Portuguese girl who moved to England by herself when she was quite young, uh, very early 20s, I think. We connected quite well because I think we saw that independence in each other and she wore it like a badge of honor. You know, she's one of these kind of people who often scoffs at parties. She'll turn her nose up and talk about how she doesn't want a big, lively event with lots of people. But you know what? I think she was sometimes pretty lonely. She put up a lot of walls and didn't let many people in. But because of that isolation, you could see she heavily relied on the few close friends that she had in her life. So do you see what I mean? These two girls are so different in character, and yet I see such similarities in their struggle. So before I go on to my conclusion and give you my thoughts, what I'd like to do is share with you the catalyst that led me to this realization. You see, a few years ago when I was back in England, I was sat at home eating lysergic acid with my good friend Albert Hoffman, And we were watching the anime series Neon Genesis Evangelion. Amazing show, by the way. Hideki Anno is a visionary genius. But bear with me here. I promise I'm going somewhere. So in this animated show, the world is under attack by these alien-type creatures called angels, right? And a bunch of kids have got to do battle with them and fight them off. One of these kids is called Rei Ayanami. In the story, she's a complete loner doesn't get along with anyone, keeps to herself, not interested in making friends. In the episode that I was watching, she's attacked by one of these angels, and what it does is it tries to fuse with her. So in this series, the angels and the humans cannot speak with each other, and they cannot seem to communicate in any way. But in this scene, as the alien is trying to fuse and become one entity with Rey, they begin to talk and have a conversation within her mind. In this conversation, the alien explains that it is only trying to connect with her so that they are able to understand each other completely and transcend any kind of conflict or boundaries between them. Rei obviously fights back and responds that she doesn't want to fuse into one creature because she doesn't want to lose her individuality. The alien questions this. It says, but hold on. Isn't your individuality what separates you from the people around you? Because you are individual, because humans are separate beings, that is inherently what causes your isolation and lack of understanding. In that moment, Rei has her own Satori moment of realization. She replies that yes, being a separate person does entail your own isolation and solitude, but without that, there would be no opportunity for connection. If we were all one consciousness, one mind and one understanding, there would be no possibility for connection because there would be nothing left for us to connect with. There can only be connection between two separate entities. 
She then dies immediately after this scene as she sacrifices herself to kill the alien. But she sacrifices herself willingly because before she dies, she realizes the intrinsic requirement of separation in connection and has a newfound respect and appreciation for her friends. So now what we are beginning to discuss is the truth of non-duality. There cannot be two without one. And if there is one, so too are there 10,000 things. This is a fundamental principle of the Tao, but it's not something that I'm going to dive into too heavily right now. What's important is understanding clearly the stark, distinct reality that each and every one of us is unavoidably alone. And yet at the same time, every single person on this planet is unquestionably connected. Allow me to expand on that. Each and every one of us is born alone. We come into this world as a single human entity. And when we inevitably die, that too is a solitary experience within ourselves. During our lifetime, no one else in this world can fully understand us. We can explain our thoughts and feelings to another person, but these are simple images. Words and sentences are crude symbols used in an attempt to convey a tiny fraction of our experience. No one can peer into our mind and fully comprehend the full scope of our own personal perspective. Absolutely no one. If I may quote Kierkegaard, deep within every human being there still lives the anxiety over the possibility of being alone in the world, forgotten by God, overlooked among the millions and millions in this enormous household. A person keeps this anxiety at a distance by looking at the many roundabouts who are related to him as kin and friends, but the anxiety is still there. So, throughout our lives, no matter how much we find like-minded people or share our time with friends and family, we each have our own unique collection of memories and experiences, which in turn creates an entirely unique outlook that is simply impossible for anyone else to truly realize. So yes, we are inevitably going to feel alone sometimes, as if no one else understands us, because truly, at its absolute depths, no one can possibly understand anyone else completely. But, on the other hand, we are all connected. Every single one of us was born from two parents, a mother and a father, two genders. Even if you were completely abandoned by your parents upon birth, we were all conceived by two separate people. And then we are born into this society. We are all raised by someone. By necessity, a baby cannot look after itself. So throughout our formative years, we are required to interact with other people. And then later in life, we go through education, surrounded by other people, all going through the same experience. Or even if you're homeschooled, you're still interacting with your teachers. In that case, you're interacting with them on a much more intimate one-to-one setting than if you went to a public school. And then after education, what next? You get a job, you enter the world, you become a member of society, you rent a home, you buy a car, you do your shopping. All of these things require social interaction. And all of these things are experiences shared by other people. To quote Herman Melville, we cannot live only for ourselves. A thousand fibers connect us with our fellow men. You see, while no one else can understand the full scope and breadth of your experience, 
No one individual part of it is unique. Each separate thing we do, the sights you see, the things you hear and feel, the places you go, even the thoughts you have, every single one of these individual experiences is shared by someone else in the world. Through that, we are always able to find connection because there are countless other people who've seen what you've seen, who've done what you've done, who've thought what you've thought. So it would seem to me that the problem arises when people confuse these two factors. On the one hand, we are entirely alone and no one else can completely understand us. But on the other hand, we are infinitely connected and even required to interact with the people around us on a regular basis. If we go to one extreme or the other, it's never going to work. If we struggle in solitude and try to find someone, one other person who fully understands us, agrees with everything we say and do and think, and is always there for us when we need them 24 hours a day for the rest of our lives, that's just impossible. That person does not exist. That person cannot exist. And at the other extreme, if we try to completely isolate ourselves from society, cut everyone off, live in complete seclusion, that doesn't really work either. Sure, there are some people who live way off in the wild, live a completely self-sustaining lifestyle entirely by themselves. But if you're listening to this podcast right now, I'm going to assume that's not you. Human beings are social creatures. We seek connection. We desire understanding. And so we must find balance. Once again, as always, the middle way. So I recommend that we start off by assessing our current state. Where is it that we need to develop ourselves? Do we struggle more when we are alone or do we find it more difficult to connect with people? But of course, these are both things that we can work on. These are qualities and skills we can very easily improve. It just takes awareness, acknowledgement and a direct concentrated effort. Obviously, you know what I'm going to suggest when it comes to improving our comfort in solitude. Meditation. I won't stop talking about it until you start doing it. In the words of Dogen Zenji, to study the way of the Buddha means to study the self. To study the self is to abandon the ego. To abandon the ego is to become one with the whole cosmos. This full-blown ego death and dissolution of the self is something I will talk more about in separate episodes and guided meditation in the future. But for now, another great way to improve our independence is traveling alone. I was talking to one of my students the other day. She lives in Taiwan and we were discussing solo travel and how different it is to traveling with a group or even just one other person. You don't have to go abroad. I'm not suggesting you pack your bags and buy a one-way ticket out the country. You can just start easy. Go on a day trip to the beach or somewhere nearby. Book a hotel for a night and go climb a mountain. Obviously, be careful and think about the dangers of where you're going, especially for the ladies. But traveling alone is a huge part of personal development. To me, it's honestly amazing how many people have never gone anywhere alone. And some wouldn't even consider it. Seriously, we all need to cultivate our independence. Do not neglect this. And then at the same time, we need to think about our social skills, both in connecting with new people in our lives, but also maintaining and strengthening the relationships we have with our current friends and family. 
It's hard for me to know what to suggest in the pursuit of improving our social skills because in my own experience, it's not something I've really made a conscious effort to develop. I think one of the biggest influences in my own ability to interact with people was becoming a personal trainer. Not only in teaching, but also in having to pick up clients and generally interact with people in the gym on a daily basis. This took a lot of effort because at first, everyone was wary to talk to me because they all thought I was trying to sell them something. And of course, they're all busy working out. So I really had to learn a lot about how to approach people, how to break the ice and make meaningful connections. Also, my experience working in security has had a huge impact on how I communicate with people. In that line of work, I'm specifically engaging in verbal and sometimes physical conflict with drunk, angry, upset people all the time. Having to deal with these people while also maintaining a calm and professional manner of conduct was of course a challenge and something I learned a lot from. But you know what? I've also become much more empathetic and compassionate in my study of Buddhism, Zen and the Tao and my practice of meditation. Not through any specific attempt, I know meditating on compassion is a big part of many practices, depending on who you learn from, but my own meditative practice has generally been much more introspective. I believe that empathy and compassion is a natural byproduct of living an awakened life. To be more conscious of both yourself and your environment, to be more mindful of your actions, this naturally leads toward having a greater appreciation and understanding of the people around you and valuing the bonds we share with those we care about. If I may share a quote from Shantideva, Strive at first to meditate upon the sameness of yourself and others. In joy and sorrow all are equal. Thus be guardian of all, as of yourself. So there you have it. The truth of our own inescapable solitude. And so too, the truth of connection through this boundless society in which we live. And as always, the way is found in balance, the middle path. Here too, as in all things. But before I leave you, there's one more thing I'd like to talk about. One quick idea I'd like to share with you. Everything I have spoken to you about thus far has been on a personal level. I've been speaking about your own individual experience. What I have spoken about today also applies on a much grander scale. A large point of contention today would seem to be between left and right wing ideology, liberal and conservative. Of course, I'm not so naive as to suggest that this is something new. I'm sure this dualistic conflict of beliefs extends back in some form or another as far as politics has ever existed. But one thing I've come to consider is that it would seem to me that a salient feature of current conservative ideology is a focus on individual liberty, whereas a more liberally minded person would seem to focus on the collective interests of the group. And so here too, we see the distinction between the individual and the society within which he exists. So often, political arguments boil down to a very simple disagreement between individual and collective responsibility. To suggest that either one side or the other is universally the correct choice 
seems to me to be a somewhat primitive understanding of politics and of human nature and social interaction. A society is nothing more than a group of individuals. Through this understanding and that of Stoic and Buddhist philosophy, I believe the focus should be on developing the individual. And through this, so too shall the collective be elevated. However, as we have discussed, the self and the other are two sides of the same coin. Strengthen and balance. Strengthen and balance. This topic, the ideas I've spoken to you about today, it's something I think is really important and I've wanted to talk about it for a while. But honestly, I feel like it's quite hard to convey in concrete terms. And I don't know if I've really shared anything particularly constructive today. I hope you found it interesting. I hope it's given you some ideas and you've been able to glean some kind of constructive thought out of my meandering speech. I admit this podcast has been one of the hardest to write since I began scripting them more carefully. But it's all a learning process. I promise you, if nothing else, I will continue to improve. So as always, thank you for your time and effort. I really appreciate everybody who's been tuning in and listening regularly. Seriously, I, I can't express my gratitude because I'm doing this because, you know, I, I want to share some of the things that I've experienced, some of the practices I have. And I know I've been, I've been having people contacting me telling me that they've been appreciating my work and I really appreciate that because I'm not making any money from this I'm you know I, I want to hear back from you I want to connect with you you know and so I really appreciate every single person who sends me anything criticism as well you know I don't just want to hear praise please let me know your thoughts positive negative agree disagree get in touch all right twitter you know the handle at way budo get in touch let me know what you think I really appreciate hearing from every single one of you so next week, I will be talking about the five interests. I really think you'll find this one interesting. It is a direct continuation of the five hindrances, episode 14, which was very popular. I had a few people contact me about that. And I think that's, yet yeah, again, really, really important information that um, I have certainly found has made a huge difference in my own life, applying that knowledge and that information. So yeah, next week, the five interests. Tune in, let me know what you think. And until then, those on the way become the way.